Hi everyone, this is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 129, and tonight we're recapping Alice Isn't Dead, Part 3, Chapter 3. I didn't look and see what the title of the episode is. It's okay. Means of escape. Oh, very good. You actually wrote that down. Nice. Could be means of an escape, but I'm too lazy to check. Uh, That's fine, too. I mean, why would we prepare? But we're going to, of course, spoil the hell out of it. And once again, it's... I mean, the episode itself is probably only about, like, 22 minutes long. And that starts out with, like, two minutes of kind of a recap in the beginning of the episode of the last few minutes of the last episode. Yeah, and the rest of it is, you know, if we wanted to, we could be really, really fast about recapping. Basically, they're surrounded by the Thistleman, and then they get away. That's it. That's the beginning and the end of it. We hear a little bit about how Alice actually joined up with Bay and Creek shipping. And even that story isn't really all that long to recap. She stopped at a rest area at one point, saw something attacking a woman. She runs in and saves the woman it turned out to be a thistle man, and the woman was Lucy of Bay and Creek and said, hey, how would you like a job? And Which there you go. makes me wonder if that was staged. Because isn't the whole idea about Bay and Creek the idea that they're, they're just two branches of whatever secret government organization that's trying to distract everybody from what is really going on in the world, I suppose? Yeah, and then Lucy ends up manipulating her pretty hard because... Okay, so Keisha's working for Bay and Creek, and they're actually oh, going sorry, around. Sorry. Alice is working for Bay and Creek. Ah, I keep on doing that. Ah, Alice is working. I keep for... wanting to think that Alice is the main character from the last two seasons, and it's not. It's Keisha. <laughs> no, that's the way it always works. So, Alice is working for Bay and Creek Shipping Company and getting more and more numb to the idea of the violence of the Thistlemen. Like, she realizes when she sees a murder victim on the ground at one point and realizes that it's just like another day on the job. And then they find out that the Thistlemen are actually targeting family members of Bay and Creek. And that's how Alice finally left Keisha because she thought, okay, well, if they're targeting family members, then fine, I'm going to leave Bay and Creek. And Lucy had told her they're about carnage, not about strategy. It doesn't matter who you're working for. They'll still come after Keisha, which seems kind of like a little bit of a leap. She basically says, you really shouldn't go back to Keisha. What you should do is pretend to be dead and leave Keisha completely. I'm like, that's really a complicated solution right there. It really is. And I thought one of the more interesting things about this episode was we're seeing a little bit of how Alice sees the world. And she talks about the fact that she also, you know, in addition to Keisha, Alice also has anxiety, but she says her anxiety is focused outward. And that was why she jumped in to save Lucy from the Thistleman that one time, because she said, I see the rest of the world as being as scared as I am. And I have this overwhelming need to protect everyone, which is also why she left Keisha because she wanted to protect Keisha. And that is why Keisha was so mad at her at the end of the last episode, because Keisha is just done with this idea of Alice doing everything for her protection. Exactly. It's almost pathological how Alice gets about it at this point. Like every decision she makes, whether it's running into the trailer first or when she gets attacked by the Thistlemen towards the end of the episode, spoilers, and Alice... Keisha runs in to save her and Keisha actually manages to take out the Thistleman and then, what is it, Alice says something like, you know, we have to go, come on, I'll help you. And Keisha's like, 
you can barely walk. How about I help you? Yeah. And when they finally manage to stumble back to the highway and they get a ride with a truck and they get a car, another rental car, which, you know, they basically max out their non-existent credit on that. Since obviously the last rental car that they got is not going to be returned because I think it's probably surrounded by Thistleman and in pieces at this point. But anyway, Keisha tells Alice, like, I saved you. Now you can keep kidding yourself that everything that you did leaving me was for my protection. But from now on, let's not. So yeah, yeah Alice is, uh, darn it. Now you've got me doing that. Keisha, Sorry. Keisha is not up for that anymore. So now she and Alice are going to have to have an equal relationship. And I have to wonder how easy that's going to be for Alice. Yeah, it's going to be a little tough, I think. But that, that was really the whole episode right there, you know, just a little bit of history and getting away from the bad guys. The only other thing that happened that I wanted to mention, so of course, end of last episode, they had gone to the trailer where the Oracle is, and the Oracle's sitting on the bed. And two things that I thought was neat. One, you know, when they first see the Oracle sitting cross-legged on the bed with a hoodie pulled over its face. And I like how Keisha said, I had the feeling that I could get as close as I wanted to to that hood and I still wouldn't be able to see a face in there. And I like that idea. Yeah, I do too. But then they saw that the Oracle was actually dead and it slumps over on the floor while the Thistlemen are attacking the trailer. And then for a second, they actually see the Oracle standing over its own body and it tells them to run and then it disappears. So I like the fact that finally in this episode, we got to see a little bit of that kind of like mystical, magical stuff that we saw in the first season. Yeah, something other than the Thistlemen, which are just uniformly horrible. That's basically yeah. the only supernatural that we saw in a lot of those episodes. It was just like, yep, that's what magic is in this world. It's just terrifying. Yeah, I really like the idea. I'm always fascinated by the oracles in this world, just the modern day kind of oracles that they're not going to look like, you know, the Greek women sitting in temples and everything. They're going to be in abandoned trailers wearing hoodies. I just, I really like that. I do. I love that. So yeah, I don't know that there was anything else going on in this whole episode. I mean, no, nope. I'm still not sure what Keisha and Alice's plan is. I mean, they're they're not just fighting monsters, they're taking on an organization that is pretty much in league with these monsters, but is pretending not to be. And even they said that the end of last episode, they had said, you know, all this stuff that they're doing, it's like a mosquito and everything, and they have to take the fight higher. But then they kind of got distracted trying to run for their lives for the Thistleman. I, I don't know. I mean, they're about to have their credit shut off because the rental car they rented is no more. So they're not going to have any money. They have no friends. They just don't have any resources. What are they going to do? Yeah. And I think that lead that they got last week from what's her name? The, uh, the runaway. Oh, um, Sylvia. Sylvia. Yeah. Wasn't the location of the Oracle, wasn't that a lead from Sylvia last time? I don't know if it was a lead from Sylvia or Sylvia adjacent. I don't think they had tracked down Sylvia. I know that Keisha's been talking to somebody at the LA Times, which I was like, boo, LA Times. And I don't I don't know who else, what their other connections are, you know? They went looking for the couple who had been at the Praxis Diner, but they never did find those. And I'm not sure that those two would be very helpful. They didn't really have a lot of information, did they? No, it's probably one of those things trying to figure out because all of this weirdness that's going on. So let's see how this weirdness is connected by finally talking to some of these people, maybe. Yeah. 
But that's it. A lot more speculation. Quick episode, except for the ads. You know, the story ends and there's like five minutes of music and ads. Another ad for that Sleep With Me podcast. I'm just like, yeah, and, man, and, you guys. And you haven't, uh, you haven't given that one a try yet, have you? No, I'm going to try it tonight. Maybe I'll try and see if it helps me go to sleep or anything. Because we, we really don't like bagging on something if we haven't given it a shot. But mm, we'll see. So only other thing that's going on is I'm still trying to catch up with all the Hugo nominees. And I think some Sometime this week, maybe before this episode airs, but possibly not, I'll have a post uh, reviewing the six nominees for Best Novelette in the Hugo Awards this year, all of which nice. I think are more or less really good. I mean, one of them was a little bit more erotica and not a whole lot of point other than that. But yeah, they were mm. all they were all fun, I thought. Cool, good, and... God, that stupid dog in the background. We were talking before this episode started that this dog across the street is barking its head off and nobody's shutting it up. And we're remembering this old comedian routine where this comedian's about busting a blood vessel in the middle of the night, trying to will this dog across the street to just explode. And that's where we are right now. But didn't Ursula... Ursula, Ursula Vernon. I always want to say Ursula Le Guin. I've even said that on a podcast before. Not Ursula Le Guin... Ursula Vernon, she has a nominee for Hugo this year, doesn't she? Yep, it was one of the short story entries. And you can find that post on pixelatedgeek.com because it's already been reviewed. Excellent. Yeah, so you're working on that. I'm actually working on a review copy of John Farley's latest book, though I think that one's probably a little bit of a novelette as well. It doesn't seem that long. I think so, because you said it was like, what, 180 pages, which is pretty well, close to novelette or novella length, I would say. Yeah, it's 180 pages on this Dobia Digital Editions, which you use to read the review copies, so I don't know how that translates. But I am like more than halfway through with it, so I'm sure it's pretty short. But it's his return to the Eight Worlds series. Oh. God fucking dog man <laughs> shut up <laughs> try again it's his return to the eight worlds series and it's really nice to see that world again it's just there's something that's kind of i feel like it's gone out of the heart of his writing i don't know it's just lacking something i don't know what it is so hopefully i'll have that review up pretty soon the only other thing on our plate though is we're trying to schedule this conversation with hannah to talk about black mirror and we're going to do the first two seasons of black mirror because it's a lot of episodes and we kind of want to narrow it down so look for that coming out pretty soon too other than that keep an eye out on pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews the movie reviews the comic book reviews the photo galleries getting into convention season i just started getting the first trickles of like san diego comic-con exclusive press releases so that'll all be coming to the site pretty quick also we have a review of deadpool up on the site and two reviews for solo up on the site because leland wrote his own review but jada has seen the movie twice so she wrote a review as well so okay so we'll get it from two different sides that's awesome yes and actually i think it's two different perspectives as well i feel like leland was a little like "Mm, it was fine but i didn't really need the movie and jada is more like, oh my god, this movie, you guys, go see it. So it's nice that we've got all aspects of it. That's funny because that's basically what I've been hearing all over the internet is people like, oh my god, this is great, you have to see it. And other people, no, oh, I guess it was fine. Yeah, Catherine M. Valente apparently is not going to go see it because she's like, I don't need this movie. I really don't. And I'm like, you know, honestly, when I heard they were going to do a hand Solo movie, that was kind of my idea too. I was like, I don't need a prequel you know and i think catherine valente summed it up it's really kind of disappointing when han solo's arc went towards useless husband father and smuggler (laughs) and it's just um kinda yeah Yeah. i mean it does feel sort of bad that 
you do sort of want to leave things at the happily ever after. But of course, when you continue the story, uh, <laughs> what's the, the Neil Gaiman Sandman idea? Every story ends in death. Yeah, it's, it's not wrong, <laughs> but, <laughs> eh, but I still want to go see it. And I also hear Deadpool's hilarious, so I need to go see that as well. So make sure to check out all of that, pixelatedgeek.com. And I know next week we'll have a Night Vale episode, and probably maybe Catherine will actually see Infinity War, maybe? I sure hope so. I wasn't going to do it over Memorial Weekend, but maybe some evening this week I can go ahead and do that. Yeah, with Solo and Deadpool both out, the theater's not going to be nearly as crowded for Infinity War now. That works for me. Because everybody else has seen it! But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. And someone shut up that dog! I don't think this. (laughs) God, dog, just explode (laughs) already.